Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Comics Pals Book Club, where a group of nice boys talk about their favorite comic books. I'm your host for this edition, all-star Phil Casey. Joining me as always is Sean, Kale, Pete, Marco, and we have a special guest today, Mr. Andy Thompson. Today, to commemorate Action Comics... Andy looks so offended. I Andy Brown. Andy Brown. Oh my stars! That was that was not even deliberate, was it? That was like you really didn't know. I was cold blooded. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, today, to commemorate Action Comics number one thousand, we are reading my personal Bible, All Star Superman, created by the Dream Team of Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley. We're going to talk about a whole myriad of things, such as each individual issue, to love and admiration for Superman the character and Superman the figure, the writing, the art, the themes, and boy, we sure have a lot of stuff to break down. So let's just hop into it. Going in for the people that have not read this before, what were your expectations for this book? Um, I guess I'll start there. Uh, I know I didn't read it, so I don't, I don't, I don't know who else hasn't. Um, I was expecting it to be, uh, I, I've had it like really, really sung its praises by both, uh, you, Phil and Andy, that it's like, you know, um, an all time favorite, that it's one of the best Superman stories, that this is an example of how to do a Superman story, right? Um, and so I, I was expecting, uh, a lot. I was definitely expecting it to be an all-time great read. Hmm. Are you saying that you didn't get that? Yes. I enjoyed it, but I... uh, And I wouldn't say that the hype, like, ruined it for me, but it was very much a thing of, like, there's a lot I liked about it, but I would say that there's a lot that I'm critical about in it, too. Oh. So I I, I came into... So I, I read this before, right? I read this before, maybe, like, a year ago, and... That was my re- first reaction. Um, that was my exact reaction, actually, when I first read it. And then coming in on a, at a second time, I don't know, there was like a different lens. Some some things had like marinated a bit more. So I don't know. I feel like it, it's a book that because it is heady, it does have a lot of symbolism. It does carry a lot of just um, history. I think it deserves that second read because there's just a lot you kind of missed. Or that at least that I missed on my first read, and that's why I it didn't I didn't come off it so hot. But like coming into it a second time was definitely uh, just eye opening for me. So I guess that's my answer to your question, Phil. Uh, I also hadn't read it prior to this, and uh, I mean it's Grant Morrison, right? So I'm expecting the world, the moon, the stars, the sun, and uh, those were all in the book, but I didn't get that out of the book. Uh, I, I, uh, was, uh, underwhelmed. So, uh, Phil, you want to go start our own Superman podcast? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> let's, let's, let's break it down and get into it since we've kind of talked about the expectations. We'll talk about what people, uh, really took away when they actually, uh, went into it. So delving right into it, doomed planet, desperate scientists, last hope kindly couple from the very first page we are given the entire ethos of his origin as it sets out to tell the ultimate superman story what i think is so compelling about all-star superman is that ultimately it is a reconstruction of comic books in the same way that watchmen was a deconstruction what watchmen set out to do in the in the 80s was deconstruct an entire genre of books and in the wake of watchmen so many books 
were a deconstruction of the genre. Whereas All-Star Superman is genre. It is the genre. It, ch- it cherishes everything that this industry has cultivated and its very mascot. So I guess my question to you is, uh, because of how uh, quintessential this is, what what is Superman to you? Um, what is that character? Because ultimately this book is a case study. So... Uh, Marco, you got something more out of it the second time. What, what, what? And you've not—you're not a comic book guy. So, what, what is Superman to you? Hey, whoa, I'm not. A, okay, you're not a superhero guy. That's Marky, a you're dang. not a comic book guy. So, <laughs> easy, easy, why don't you so, just like relax? Why don't you first, just, first just tell me what a like, comic book is, Marco? <laughs> <laughs> Marco, would you describe um, yourself as a pal? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. My like my second go around, it felt a little more. Um, uh, I, I could see more so where like his character came from his 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 resilience and his like belief in humanity, and uh, so I, I did get that like out of it that the, the character that is Superman is one that is uh, everlasting because he has an effect and that effect is to just be good and then that gets shared and that gets continually passed down and it's like essentially he is goodness with like some muscle and he's looking <laughs> to not necessarily like save the day but to just save people i like that though goodness with some muscle yeah andy what is superman to you since he is such an important character to you oh god superman is he's a lot of things um well that's great Andy. Yeah. Good opinion. <laughs> Thanks, Gil. Yeah. Um <laughs> Superman is sort of a nice reminder for me at least of of who I want to be like going into every day. And it's like maybe I can't always live up to the standards I try to set by my, for myself, but I don't think that if your baseline for like who should I try to be as Clark Kent? I don't think you're doing, you know, that bad. I think um, to build off that, I, I kind of have a similar idea of what Superman's supposed to be representative of. I think, like, to me, he's a really good um, figurehead for the idea of, like, you know, secular humanism, right? Of, like, morality for morality's sake, not for um, religion's sake. Uh, the idea of doing what's right because it's within your power to do so. Um, so you have the responsibility to do so. Uh, and I, I think that's obviously a, a pretty present theme throughout this piece. He's the best of us. He's, uh, he's, you know, the ideal. Every, every person should aspire to be what Superman is. There is no, th- there is no alternative when it comes to that with the respect of how much he's willing to sacrifice and what he's willing to do for the good of every man. Um, not because he's obligated to by any external force, but because it's the right thing to do. And that's and that's it. Yeah, I think um, I feel like they say, and this is a thing you hear all the time, right? Like he's a beacon, right, for mankind. He's a uh, an idol to aspire to. I think I think that's I think what everyone said is true because Superman is the first superhero, and the, what a superhero is by design is a person who helps people 
completely selflessly, right? Like they 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 help the greater and social good, and that's Superman's entire like ethos. And I think that's really explored thoroughly here. Uh, I think the entire behavioral model of the character is rooted in Clark Kent, not Kal El or Superman, but Clark the man. And I don't mean the bumbling, mild-mannered reporter, but the confident, good-hearted Clark who enacts the moral lessons from his pa. Um, it's true Superman's powers come from the son, but his real strength comes from his dad. There's a there's a panel. Whoa. The... <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. Uh, the first panel of the sixth issue depicts the son setting over uh, the Kent farm uh, as... His paw provides moral lessons to him. And even in Pa's death, that is a life lesson for Clark. That even with all his powers and abilities, he can't be everywhere at once. And there's that great funeral scene where he says as a eulogy, Jonathan Kent taught me that the strong have to stand up for the weak and that bullies don't like being bullied back. He taught me that a good heart was worth more than all the money in the bank. He taught me about life and death. He taught me that the measure of a man lies not in what he says, but in what he does. And he showed me by example, how tough, uh, how to be tough and how to be kind and how to be dream of a better world. Superman puts these philosophies in action by actually being the example. Like Sean said, um, so I guess my question here is, what moments in the book really stood out to you like that? Uh, you know, I think, funny enough, the moments that stood out to the most to me were the moments where they were talking about those ideas, less so than, like, Superman actually enacting them. Like, uh, Pa Ken's funeral, and then also his um, space ride with Jor-El while he's in limbo, or, you know dead but before he comes back to fight lex in uh, the i think it's the last issue um those were moments that really stuck out to me where i think they they did a really good job or grant did a really good job of um of surmising i think superman's ideals you know like really boiling down what the essence of the character is supposed to be representative of i think at his best huh i had i, I sort of had the like the thought that it was every moment where he was enacting them versus like them talking about like when he's like bumbling around as Clark Kent like even though he is technically in 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 character he still uh breaks out like that goodness and bumps into somebody to save them from like something hitting them or like uh accidentally pushes them somewhere and like they get out of the way or whatever you know um like those are the moments that that sort of was exemplified because he's actually like executing them um, yeah, in the, in that same vein, the sort of, like, real quick subplot about the, uh, the one, like, the suicidal girl, where it's, like, oh, yeah. where it's, like, over the course of four pages, you see, you know, her doctor get held up by something Superman's doing, and, like, all these other things, and then she's standing there ready to kill herself, and then Superman shows up, he's like, hey, everything's gonna be okay. I got you. I, I, I'm glad you brought that scene up because I actually wanted to focus on that real quick. Um, there's there's a moment in the book where Superman, after he creates the new world, uh, there's a scene with uh, Renaissance philosopher Pica della Mar Marandola, 
where he he waxes philosophically talking about how human beings are great uh, imitators, how they imitate the fish because they want to swim and they imitate the birds because they want to fly. And so why not imitate the angels, the the great, the, the best of ourselves? And that's that's what Morrison really, that's like his entire philosophy, I think, because it's all about potential. There was an interview he did for All-Star Superman um, in Newsarama where he said, instead of indulging the most uh, brutish, vicious, greedy, ignorant experience, we can, with a little applied effort, uh, elevate the better part of our natures and work to express those elements throughout uh, through our own behavior. To do so would probably make us all feel a lot better, too. Doing good deeds and making other people happy makes you feel totally brilliant. And it's like Superman in this book is an example to all of us, and not how to be, like... The, how to be Superman necessarily, but how to, but how to be a better version of us by helping other people. And I think that scene really, uh, really underscores that point. Oh yeah. Um, and there's another interview I saw with Grant Morrison that he did as like a bonus feature for the, um, the like animated adaptation of all-star Superman, or he's talking about, um, like at the time this was written, Superman was usually depicted as like this big muscle, angry dude. And, uh, Grant Moore, like the whole ethos for All-Star Superman came about because Grant Morrison thought, oh, you know, I really think that if you had Superman's powers, you'd just be the most chill person there is. Like, like he is relaxed and assured in his goodness. And I, I really appreciate that as a depiction of Superman. So so that's, that's good. What did you guys think of, uh, of Samson and Atlas? And for that matter, Black Kryptonite Superman. Uh, these are all like subversions of Superman and like the, the negative stereotypes. Or for that matter, um, uh, Barrel and Lilo, the other Kryptonians. These are all like different versions of Superman in the most negative sense. Like, what did you guys take away from these subversions? Um, I, oh. All right. No. Um, I guess I didn't really see them as subversions um i sort of saw them as like older like a a a reflection of like older hokey comics tropes um like they they sort of came in as like atlas and um what was the other guy atlas samson and atlas sam like like samson and atlas they were like the you know like the strong men Pit, pit to like uh, to pit against like whatever hero right and then um, the other superheroes uh, uh, later on who were all like the other Kryptonians were just kind of like oh you know the trope of like somebody comes back from like their long lost destroyed planet or whatever um, so I sort of perceive them that way versus uh, any sort of subversion to the character of Superman more so like connecting to like the comics ethos. Yeah, I, I definitely saw them as subversions. I think Samson and um, Atlas are definitely like, you know, they're traditional strong men, like macho heroes. You know, they're very like, uh, you know, they're trying to steal Superman's girl and they're trying to challenge him to wrestling matches and feats of strength and, you know, this very... Um, traditional kind of view of masculinity and 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 you know heroism or what have you and and superman at least in this story right is a rejection of that um and i think um lilo and what was her husband's name or whatever? borel and borel um 
were examples of of how Superman and I guess Black Kryptonite Superman is like this as well. Uh, examples of what Superman could be if he wasn't Clark Kent, right? Like the monster that he could be, or the invader, or the conqueror. Um, and those are all things that Superman isn't and never could be. And I think that's exactly right. I think Samson and Atlas, that's the public perception of Superman, that he's a, he's a flying brick. Uh, he's, he's stupid and he's, and he's, and he's, he's basically Braun Strowman. Um, and Borel and Lilo are the other side where they, people look at Superman as a, an elitist, kryptonian who looks at humanity as inferior that's like the very ending of kill bill volume two where basically they say clark kent is like superman's imitation of humanity as this frail weak race whereas that's not really the ethos and that that's black kryptonite superman too whereas when he takes the black kryptonite and he becomes this ultimate coward who is and he would be a coward when threatened by something more powerful than him. He He's only so uh, strong and brave because of his powers, which is not really the point. The point is that he has a lot of moral strength and integrity that comes from his upbringing. And that's, that's it's an inner strength that we're all capable of. So throughout this entire book, we're given these uh, opportunities to basically confront a public perception of Superman. I, I, I suppose now we can kind of break down our uh, 12 issues because throughout this story, Superman is confronted with 12, 12 trials that he has to overcome. Um, and through those 12 trials, we're put through the 12 issues. So in the very first issue, um, Superman is confronted with his own death because Lex Luthor poisons him with too much solar radiation. Um, so let's, let's talk about it. His first trial, or his first labor, is uh, the Superman saves the first manned mission to the sun. Um, and in doing that, we lead to the second issue where he brews the super elixir and uh, gives Lois Lane superpowers. And I think with that, it's good to jump into the relationship of Superman and Lois. What did you guys think of that, and what do you think of Lois in this issue? No, in, this, in this story. Was, was it just me, or... Why is Lois a person of color in, in this? I didn't think she was. I know what Mark was talking about. She's drawn, like, she's colored a little darker than than normal, I guess. And uh, I noticed that a lot with Frank's, um, when, like, with, when, with his books. Um, like, they seem to be colored in such a way where characters don't always have the the same color that you're used to seeing them with. Hmm. Yeah. She's a little darker here than usual. Okay. Yeah, so I just thought like the the whole uh the whole kind of book that she was just like uh you know, I don't know, like a person of color. Just like, oh okay. This is I guess this I is I don't fine. think it was deliberate, I but I think it's fine to interpret it that way. Sure. All right, yeah. Yeah, then. Um so I uh I I was kind of uncomfortable with their relationship, honestly. Um, I, I thought it was really, like, weird how, how much Superman, like, lied to her, and then, like, when he does try to come clean about his secret identity, she's just like, nah, no way, like, cause if you've been doing it, you've just been lying to me this whole time, and, and then, like, they just don't ever address that. It's just like, yeah, he has been, and it's like, okay. I think, no, I think that's exactly how they address it. It's, yeah, 
Like, because how else do you confront that? It's like, yeah. oh, you've been lying to me this whole time. It's, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, <laughs> like, I feel like then she doesn't, like, like, she's just like, no, like, there's no way, and, like, doesn't acknowledge that they're the same person the rest of the series, even though, like, he's vehemently telling her, like, I'm definitely Clark Kent and I'm also dying. Like, <laughs> I just, it, it felt weird to me. Like, I don't know. That, like, happens a bunch of times in the book like uh, towards the end when you know he like outs himself to luthor he's just like what no where where's clark kent hiding you were in disguise as clark kent the whole time <laughs> right well it's i mean people who would believe that clark kent this bumbling fool could actually be the greatest person on earth yeah when, and yeah. especially when he goes as far as to change his physical appearance like, yeah, Clark Kent wears glasses and Superman doesn't. Come on. No, more than that, though. Like, <laughs> yeah, Quitely, I was like, Quitely I draws him like he's kind of hunched over and he looks – he shifts his weight and – Yeah, like everybody yeah. says he's fat. I was just yeah. like I, – I literally wrote in the in my notes. I was like, why does Clark look so fat? And then everyone started calling him <laughs> chubby. I was like, oh, OK. I guess he's like – he's he's making himself look fat? Like, I don't – I, I um not that that was like a problem for me. I just I remember that was like a funny reveal for me when it was like, oh okay, this is on purpose. He's somehow making everyone think he's chubby instead of buff. <laughs> there's a, there's that scene where Clark goes in the office and he's like twirling around as he's like tripping on everything. But it it, it really yeah. showcases how Frank really like the subtle difference in the character model between Clark and 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 Superman, uh, where Clark is very hunched over, whereas Superman is very uh, properly refined in his posture and everything. Uh, and it, it, I think it really reflects how much presentation changes people's perception of you. Yeah, they're, I mean, like, their body language is, like, super different. Like, if you, you know, look at the way that he always poses Clark, like, there's that uh, moment where they're at the prison, right? And there's, like, you know, he's pretending to be scared or whatever, whatever and, like, his knees lock and everything. And there's, like... A lot of little kind of subtle details like that that you'll pick up on if you're looking for them. So on the subject of Lois, um, I I thought she was fine here. Uh, I didn't I didn't really get the same perspective on Lois that I usually do, which is that she's this super you know independent, forthright like. I'll kick this door down to get my story type person. Uh, you, you know, seeing two, seeing three dudes fight over her is not what I really wanted to see. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I didn't really care for that. Um, I get the point, but I don't care. Uh, and um, I don't know. She never really, she never really had her moment. I liked I liked that Superman gave her the the serum and kind of made her Superwoman for a day. But even in that situation, she didn't get to do anything that was particularly cool with her power set. She was still just a regular person. It was like, oh, here's this here's this amazing ability to be like me. What are you gonna do with it? She did nothing. She got tired and she fell asleep. Followed him around uh, on his adventures <laughs> for a couple hours. Yeah, she she followed him around, didn't really interact too much, and then just was done. And, like, watched him arm wrestle two guys. Yeah, with, with like, to, to Sean's earlier point about, like, her being sort of ogled by over, like, three guys, like, it felt, there were a lot of instances where she felt very over-sexualized. I agree. Um, there were moments with, like, the, 
the the red dress um i think after the 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 christmas party just like the way it flowed um they they did the the shower scene a little more gracefully because i think it was a bit more on the point uh, like um on the nose but sure um there were there were other moments where i just felt like uh i don't know she was just very tantalizing and very um just not what i would have expected uh, a lois to be as well i guess yeah, I, I wrote in my notes one of the first things that stuck out to me as, as something that I didn't like about the book was I felt like some of its like um, attitudes about sex haven't aged particularly well. Um, I think that whole Lois thing that we just pointed out was probably the biggest offender, but I also thought that the um, you know like the the depiction of um, nasty Lex's like niece and whatever I was I thought that was very strange, you know like. And I don't, I don't know if that character has some history there or whatever, but like, and sure, Phil's nodding, yes. Um, but yeah, I, that, there was stuff like that that just kind of made me uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't really f- see why this needs to be here. I don't see like what this is really adding to the narrative other than giving us like a woman to oogle at, you know? And it, it felt like dissonant from the rest of the story for me. And, and there's sort of like a stark contrast to like what we see in, in like another Grant Morrison book, like Wonder Woman, or like Earth One, right? Where she's, like, there are uh, moments where she is not necessarily sexualized, but like her sexuality is put on display, but it pertains to like her history. So I don't know if there is something to her history about the sexual sexualization, but I don't know. It it, uh, it felt like a, like a, not a flaw, but just like a, um, I don't know, not like a sour note for me in, within this book. I mean, to the point of Wonder Woman, man, that was a pretty sexualized book in general. But, but like it was, was by definition. But it was portrayed differently. Yeah, that, by but, definition, but yeah. like that's literally yeah. what it was. Um, I I don't mind uh, that she had sex appeal because she does. That's low. That's a, that's also a part of Lois. Um, I just felt like she didn't do anything. She she didn't have <laughs> right. like she just didn't do anything. She was just there, and that's my problem because that's not Lois. Lois is not just there. She's supposed to be an integral part of the whole thing. Yeah, to 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 your point, she you know she gets the um, the idea to sort of hunt down Superman like she's been kidnapped or whatever, only because she is infected by that that the. Uh, the right. the fumes of that paranoia gas or whatever he's so, so a big part of uh, Lois in that second issue is a is a is a tribute to a more antiquated age of nineteen fifties Superman comics where the whole point of Lois Lane comic books is that she was always trying to hunker Superman down and marry him and it was kind of meant to be like a a tongue in cheek uh, acknowledgement of this bygone era. Uh, it wasn't meant. To, I don't think it was deliberately meant to be uh, uh, in a in a derogatory way. It was more of an acknowledgement of a piece of the uh, publication history. Uh, and, sure. Andy, what did you take away from that? Um, from that issue, I think. Or, you or from, hit from it. this perspective of Lois. From from this perspective of Lois, I I think I'm more on on your side with the it's it's kind of a view of the whole thing. But I do agree with everyone's takes about um you know it is a little off-putting and i i do wish that she had more to do in the book as a whole and not just in that second issue yeah i think that's totally fair 
we can we can accelerate here where uh, when he defeats Samson and Atlas, Superman answers the unanswerable question uh, from that uh, Super Sphinx. Uh, he then moves on later where we can focus on the next part here where Superman changed the Chronovore, which is just eating up time, which is where he first meets the uh, the, the League of Supermen from all different timelines and, and points in history. Um, this is like a big theme in this book, and this is also a big theme in DC 1 Million, which is another Grant Morrison book. What did you guys think of Superman's interaction with the other Superman, particularly Superman 1 Million? Which one was uh, Superman 1 Million? He's, Superman 1 Million is the gold Superman. Oh, okay. Presumably, okay. he is the Superman that flew into the sun to repair the sun at the end of the series. Mm-hmm. Theory confirmed. There's other stuff we'll talk um, about that are very theory oriented. Th- this was one of the things that, uh, like, in this book, that I was just like, "This is a Grant Morrison book, and like, this is what I should expect." You know, like it, it was that I, I literally like in my page of notes, I wrote, uh, "Grant Morrison is so weird," and then there's just a bunch of bullet points of weird things that happened <laughs> in the book, and like this is this is one of them for me. Um, it's like it's I, I I this to me also feels like an homage to like Silver Age comics. Like this is like comics comics yeah. stuff. You know, of like, yes, Superman is talking to a legion of his offspring from the future, and then we end up finding out that there's this whole weird circle where it's him talking to himself and and, and that's a very Grant Morrison thing. <laughs> um it, it yeah, I mean I think it worked for me in the way that that second issue was supposed to be homage being be an homage to those older Lois issues. This felt um, like that for me, right? Like I could tell that's what he was going for, and I feel like it uh, felt very reminiscent of that aesthetic. You know? Yeah, I think it um, sort of accomplishes what I can feel the second issue with Lois going for that sort of restructuring and like borrowing wholesale. But what could have been an issue of like Silver Age Superman to like say something about um, the Superman mythos, the character as a whole, and his relationship with Jonathan Kent? Yeah, and I think that's what it ultimately was. This is a moment to freeze time because it's literally a time eating monster for Superman to go back and be able to appreciate his father years in the past. Yeah. Because he says, and- like, this is my, that was, it was nice to have this moment. Yeah, that was one of my favorite issues. Um, I definitely think that was a real standout one for me. As somebody who really likes Superman but doesn't really read that much Superman, uh, getting to see the way that uh, Jonathan Kent was kind of... Like, how they kind of they kind of say... I forget what exactly the line is, but they basically say, like, he's responsible for all of this. Like, he's the reason that we're all here. And I thought that that was very very uh respectful of that character and what he means to clark and and i mean if if it's not it puts him to perspective if it's not for for mon pa kent clark doesn't exist not that way he's something else and right. maybe he's something like the other the allegories or whatever to different versions of superman like we saw like we see later in the book maybe he does become those things maybe he is a blockhead you know, goofball. Maybe he is a, a monster. You know, maybe he is a coward. Whatever. Maybe he is a conqueror. And like, probably, 
right? Like, I, I feel like that's the implication even is to see how many allegories there are, how many ways he could have been something else and how that something else could have been sinister. But he isn't because he's the best of us, you know, and it's because he did have those values instilled in him. Um, so, Kale, what, what did you take away from that? Because I know you're an appreciator of uh, the very Silver age stuff, obviously. You like uh, the Legion of Superheroes, and this is kind of like a, uh, a hyper version of that. Yeah, I don't have much uh, to add to that. Um, I... Uh, it, it's you know like pete said it's a very it's a very grant morrison way to to get around you know the timey-wimey-ness of it all um <laughs> you know he, it it's a it's a good gesture you know um for a grown superman to get to go back and talk to his dad and and to get to see where he came from for for a hot second and to remember that, oh yeah, I have come a long way and I have done a lot. You know, he gets to see that both from where he came from and where he goes. And, and you know, like it was said, that all came from the Kents. Um, it, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's just really good. Um, but yeah, weird. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> so I feel like you. I feel like you can say that about a lot of this book. Yeah. <laughs> so moving along the trials here, uh, it moves into the middle of the book here, where Superman saves Earth from Bizarro Home, and he also returns from the Underverse. Uh, I want to talk briefly here about uh, Superman's excursion uh, to the Bizarro world, basically, and uh, Zabaro, the the one normal person. Uh, to appear on the bizarre planet a lonely figure uh, he resembles superman but uh he is an outcast ostracized for being different uh he's like he's also he's he's like an opposite version of superman because superman comes from a world where everyone loves him but where zabaro is from he's lonely and his differences make him scorned rather than a champion uh what did you guys think of the the bizarre world and uh what do you think of zabaro this this is where this book grinds to a halt for me like i really? don't i don't enjoy this part at all oh um, yeah the, the i think bizarro world is absolutely the low point of the book yeah like i i huh. i like you know when you as you're going through and it's talking about the grand nature of superman and you get to see all the cool stuff he does and then oh fuck here he is in bizarro world here we go <laughs> <laughs> i just like i i get it but it doesn't feel I don't know, it's hard to say it doesn't feel like something, like, it's hard, hang on, let me think about that sentence. It's hard to, it's hard to say that nothing happens, because stuff obviously happens. It's just like, you know, it doesn't, it feels the least Superman-y to me. I, man, I, I came away t feeling totally different about this piece. Uh, I thought it was the most Superman thing uh, because, like, Zabaro is is this person who wants to appreciate art, wants to, you know, have intellectual dialogue, and he can't, and he feels trapped in his environment. Uh, and I feel like... What's that like? 
<laughs> I, 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 I feel like um, Superman could easily feel just as just as alone and just as ostracized in, in on Earth because he's an alien and he can't. In some way, I mean, he he's also human, right? But like, in some ways, he can't relate to people, and there's a loneliness element because he can't be honest. We saw him deal with that with Lois, where he can't he couldn't tell her the truth about himself until he's about to die and can't even savor the fact that she would know. He has a whole fortress where the only people around are robots, you know, and he presumably he spends a lot of his time there. Um, so I actually saw Zabaro and. Superman as uh, parallel figures, and uh, I really appreciated that. And then I also really loved seeing Superman's desperation to get out of there, and the way that he—I mean—he's losing his power, so he can't just fly away. He actually has to use his intelligence, and it's another example of the fact that Superman's not dumb. Superman is smart, uh, and he probably has a—he probably has a genius-level intellect, and um, I love that he had to use that. And he had to use his humanity to get out of this situation and not just his muscle or something like that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Sean on this one. Um, I was really surprised to hear hear you say that you feel like that's a low point um, because I really, really liked that issue quite a bit. I thought that uh, the interplay between Superman and Zabaro was some of the most interesting dialogue uh, in the whole piece. I think um, Zabaro's like, lamentation of the fact that like he's alone in this world where he's the only one who thinks of uh, the poetry in, in you know, mundane situations or that wants to, you know, uh, be able to express himself, right? That he is the lone example of meaning in a world full of chaos um, and that he's just so utterly alone and scorned. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I think there was a really easy narrative there of him trying to sabotage Superman, right? Of like, you're abandoning me here. And like, I kind of thought that's where it was going to go. And it was really, really cool that it was a not like again to Sean's point it was an example of that superman is more than his powers you know superman is much more than his abilities it's it's his uh the human being underneath right and that he does take the time to read his poetry and right and 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 reaffirm that there is value in his life and in his existence and that he can create change in his world the same way that superman creates change in his and uh, I thought that was really beautiful, you know, and, and again, the fact that he gets out of this situation by being vulnerable and by being human and by being empathetic um, rather than overcoming it with physicality is um, an example of like how I think you can really like do more with Superman than just having him be, you know, the uh, the good guy with muscles, right? Or however Marco put it. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, what do you um, think? I, I'm I'm closer to the the kale end of the the spectrum than the Pete and Sean end. Um, I it's it's one of the it is a low point in the book for me. Not because I don't like that idea of like the the Superman Zabaro parallel. I think Zabaro is a great character. I just that idea feels so discreet from the rest of the book. That's fair, but and a lot, like, I think a lot of the book is very isolated. Like it, it, every issue is its yeah. own thing. Yeah, that's true. I, I feel like this does take place over like two issues, though. Um, yeah, it does. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I think that's that's what Phil's saying. Like every everything else is one issue. So I think part 
part of the problem with this is that it's two issues doing this whole thing. I I also think that like it is I don't know it like something in modern Superman loses um a lot of the weird like not weird weird's the wrong word a lot of the really specific to like the 40s and 50s like Jewishness of Superman. Hmm. And I think that it it feels like it's almost getting there but not quite getting there. With this, you mean? With this, it's like the uh, yeah. the like Gollum clay kind of yeah yeah yeah. Because yeah. um, like, you know, the Superman created like during the peak of the Third Reich by two Jewish dudes who had immigrated to New York is American, but like will never really be fully American in a way that like. You know, maybe it's it's changing attitudes towards Jewish people, but like that that was always the thing I really liked about old Superman books, and it I don't know it feels like it almost gets there but misses the mark a little bit for me. I'm not following what you're saying. How how is how is that represented in Superman comics? Um, so uh, just this comes from. Uh, a book I read like a couple years back for a paper, but uh, basically the idea was that uh, Superman, like uh, Siegel and Schuster, was he was American, but he was different than American in that like he wasn't accepted, and I'm sorry, I'm like having a brain fart right now attempting to explain this i i think i I think it's tough i'll try to bail you out if you want no i got i got it it's like (laughs) the the alien slash other of superman that is always going to be there and is a fundamental part of him that he can hide as clark kent but like still has to be you know still is kal-el still is superman is is the same way that you know Stanley Leibowitz can hide as Stan Lee, but is still you know Stanley Leibowitz. Yeah. Okay. So the th- the the thing is that Superman is able to project. He can project himself to the outside world however he wants. Right. And there's nobody who's gonna not accept a tall, good-looking, you know, fit white guy. Whereas, like, if you were Jewish and you were clearly Jewish at a certain time in history, and even now to to an extent, that's not a good thing for you. If you're black, um, that can be not a good thing for you. And so I don't really – that doesn't really hold resonance for me. Like, I understand it internally. I understand the loneliness and those elements that were represented in the issue that we're talking about. But – like nobody's gonna nobody is going to not invite Clark Kent to the party if he chooses to represent himself a certain way. He hides behind Clark Kent because he needs to have a a human identity to a 
use as a secret identity because that's comics, um, but also to be able to walk among people without being bothered all the time about being Superman. Um, so I guess for me, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what the book is missing that's not quintessential Superman that that speaks to that you know quote unquote uh, Jewishness that you were referring to. Um. I, I've completely lost my train. I'm sorry. I've been awake for too long. So, I th- yeah, like, uh, I, I'm, Andy's not explaining it super well. I have uh, heard a lot of this and, uh, like, uh, Sean, you are right, but you're also, it feels like you're looking at it from, like, the character's point of view, whereas this, this criticism comes at it from, like, the angle of you know, looking at it from the perspective of Siegel and Schuster, like through that lens. So, so like you're right, uh, but also like these guys created a man who would be able to do all those things. I sure, yeah. I guess like okay, Kale. So then it sounds like you you get it more. So then explain <laughs> to me. Go ahead, go ahead. I I I can't answer what. Andy is saying is is missing with that here. I I couldn't see that either. I I let me interject. I think that it is represented, and it comes from the next trial, which is a good way to move on. It's where <laughs> well done, good job, Phil. I'm I'm sorry for bringing everybody down that rabbit hole. That's hilarious because Kale said that that part of the book brought the book down, so it's a little ironic, but. Yeah, you gotta get out of the gravity well that is me being tired. (laughs) Superman creates life. And when he does that, we see a lot of parallels of our reality. And in those parallels, we see two uh, lonely Jewish boys from Cleveland creating a super-powered hero. And to me, I think that is uh, representative of the origin and 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 the... strength that it took to create a character like this i think that i think it is represented here i also thought that was that was um one of the most grant morrison (laughs) things to happen in the in the book of him being like what would happen in a world without a superman superman gets created as a comic book character i'm like all right all right grant morrison i see what you did there i like it (laughs) in essence a world without a physical live superman Superman still exists as an idea because he is so important right. to the, the to the very essence of humanity, because Superman is humanity. But I uh, digress. So the next uh, trial is when Superman liberates Kandor, and in doing that, cures cancer on all the planet. Uh, what did you think of that scene? Because that's also uh, a big part of Superman ethos is that he's never able to solve the Kandor problem. Uh, Brainiac shrunk down a city on Krypton, and it's been a, it was it's a perpetual labor for him to try to uh, restore them to their glory. I love that part. Oh yeah, that was um, great. Yeah, I I I thought that was awesome. Uh, I was I was wondering how that was going to be resolved, and it just I love that I love Superman as a I love Superman as a as an intellectual problem solver. Uh because that's so right that's like how humans get by that's how we've gotten to where we are is by problem solving and superman wouldn't be human we couldn't relate to him as a human if part of his power set didn't include that you know 
Um, and I just think that this represents that so well. Uh, why Superman is such a good hero is because he's not willing to he's not willing to give up on these people. You know, like they're they're it, like you could easily say out of sight, out of mind, right? Like Batman will lock up a criminal and that's just they're done. Like forget them. The only one he doesn't stop thinking about is the Joker. Uh, minus <laughs> minus the idea of trying to like. Uh, prepare antidotes to poisons that these people use. He's not focused on them. He's worried about the next one, right? Whereas somebody with Batman's intellect could theoretically cure cancer. Imagine if he put his 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 energies into that. Superman is always worried about the problems that exist within humanity, and it extends to his other people, right? So I just love that in his last moments he was able to actually solve this problem. That's going to really tie into when we talk about the juxtaposition between Lex Luthor and Superman because that's a huge right. aspect of that. But well, I, I, I'm pumping the brakes there because that's 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 a big conversation and I'm really excited about having it. But I want to get there organically. Sure. Oh yeah. So yeah, because that that was exactly where my mind went yep. to. Is that it's yep. like a direct yep. quote yep. from the last issue? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do this a little bit chronologically, but uh, if you sure, really sure. want, we can have the carnivore come here and eat up time, and we'll do it. No, no, I, I think it's okay. I think I think I have enough juice left to get us out of the underverse. Um, <laughs> I, I, I what I really liked about that scene was I I think that the. Um, the whole Superman going to visit the the kids in the terminally ill ward, and then when he figures out, oh hey, here's this way that they're gonna try and cure me, like his mind goes, no, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go like fix these kids, you know, and then I won't like when I'm gone, I won't have to worry about there not being anyone to go visit them and brighten up their day because they're all gonna go home and they're all gonna be okay, and like I I love that, you know, I think that, that that's such a that's so emblematic of what Superman's whole fear is, right? Like he's not afraid of his own morale, uh, of his own mortality. He's not afraid of dying. Like he's afraid of the gaping hole that he's going to leave behind. And how does he fill that? And like that's so um, not to use the word again, but emblematic of like his whole attitude, right? That it is like how can he serve? You know, um, how can he serve humanity rather than you know being worried about what he didn't do for his own sake, right? Like, he looks at his trophy room and he said he's had a life well lived, you know? And he's not um, bargaining because he's afraid of, like, <laughs> what it means for him to die. Yeah. And I think that's really noble. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on that before we uh, move on to, the, I guess, the elephant in the room? Don't talk about Kale that way. <laughs> Uh, I like that Superman takes the time uh, in the midst of basically what I laugh because Kale goes like he just nods his head like no and Sean's just like no yeah. like yeah I'm with you not a good one I, I like that through all this uh, grandeur Superman takes the time to go visit children he rescues the suicidal girl he um, he basically goes out of his way to be a hero because that's what he is in his essence so let's talk about Luthor here, because basically as we talk about Luthor, this will lead to the climax of the book. Uh, before we juxtapose the two, I want to talk about the scene where Clark Kent goes to visit Lex Luthor in prison. And that whole oh, scene. Yeah. And through that scene of Lex's uh, his hubris and his arrogance, uh, Clark is inadvertently saving him from catastrophe. <laughs> right. What do you guys think of the prison scene with Parasite? Uh, that, oh, that, that so first, 
the first part where he walks in and he trips over the cable, like, and, like, causes these, like, call him off! And he, like, causes an explosion or whatever. Like, that got such a pop out of me. I thought that was hilarious. Like, the best slapstick Clark moment in the whole thing, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I, I thought the scene was great. Uh, overall, it did reveal something that I wasn't super thrilled with about the book. I just didn't like the way Lex spoke. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't love his, I mean, I know Lex is, Lex is hubris, right? Like he is arrogant. He is cocky. Um, but I just think sometimes with Grant's dialogue, he goes too far in a specific direction. And this time I felt like he, he took Lex to the point of just kind of being goofy um, you know, to to kind of add to that, you know, how I I read Lex more as Grant. <laughs> That's funny. He's actually compared himself to Lex Luthor before because he sees himself as a villain and he is bald. <laughs> That's the two things you need to be Lex Luthor. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that being said, though, it was so it was so interesting to see Clark get to speak to Lex and have Lex telling him you know, his problems with Superman and stuff without without Lex knowing that Superman was actually in the room, you know. Uh, I've never seen a scene like that before between those two characters in any medium, so it's cool to see it here. I'm sure it's happened before, but I've never seen it. Man, you gotta watch Smallville. I said the way Luthor talks down to Superman <laughs> is like, it's like the Zabaro thing, where Luthor sees himself as so superior in a world of dullards. Right. And Superman is his yeah. competition. I I think um, the thing I really liked about it was, like, Lex is all hubris, but there are often times where I think Lex is presented as being um, a big man, you know, that even though he is uh, the counterpoint who's constantly living in Superman's shadow by his own choice, and that's really his fatal flaw, um, I've never read a version of Lex or experienced a version of Lex where I felt like he was such a small man, where he was such a small sniveling little shit that he's talking about how, Oh, if Superman wasn't around, maybe she'd notice a nice guy like you. And I'm just like, you sound like such a fuck, like a fuck boy, (laughs) you know, like it's like, yeah, look at this real human muscle that takes hard work. Like, it's just like, shut the fuck up, Lex. Like, it's like, He's just such a, a self-righteous, self-grandizing uh, wannabe. And the sad thing is that if he actually put his mind towards anything constructive, he could have been just as important. You know, and Superman says, we could have been friends. We could have saved the world together. But he's too fucking proud. And, <laughs> and like, it makes him a loser. It makes him insignificant. Have you seen that... Uh... It's like it's like one panel of dialogue between Spider Man and the villain Sauron. Spider Man's like, like, like Lord you, of the No, 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 the oh. pterodactyl guy. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to. Spider Man's like, you could have cured cancer, and Sauron's like, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So, I'm gonna just jump in and say that. I don't think I'd ever seen slapstick, like, Looney Tunes-esque cartooning put into a superhero comic until Clark Kent in the prison. 
Like, uh, that book, that one issue, I crack up every time. Just, like, all the little things of, like, oh, I'm going to be clumsy and just, like, save everything. It's great. Also, I I love this Lex as a, like, a, like, sad, small man. In part because I... I subscribed to a theory I read on the internet once that um, Leo Quintum is no, Lex no, no, from the no, future. No, 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 oh, we're not getting sorry. there yet. No, 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 not no. getting there yet. Oh, <laughs> that's that's a big one. We're not. Let's, let's cross sorry, that. Sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> sorry. Before we get there, uh, Marco, what do you think? Um, I mean, I don't know too much about him, so this is kind of like my definition of him at this point. Um, but what I did see was really cool. Uh, the way that he is just like the way he sort of perceives himself and, and makes himself the victim. And to, to Pete's point, like he, he makes him like the, the, the coward and like the, 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 just the overall, the weakling. And, and you can sort of see why, um, Superman beats him you know time and time again it's not necessarily the strength or like where he's from it's it's his gumption and it's his it's the drive it comes from they come from two different places and the place where it comes for for superman that's where it sort of counts lex in this book is the same as superman on the black kryptonite yeah that's exactly right um yeah and that is uh that's that works great for the book i just don't necessarily think that that's who lex how lex is represented everywhere else i've seen no of course not but i think this book is a it's an epic in 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 a greek and roman sense this is this book is presented in a way of mythology this is 80 years of history, and I think this is taking – because Lex Luthor in his, in, in his infancy was a mad scientist, right, who was like this cartoonish supervillain. And I think this grounds that interpretation, and you still have modern Lex, but I think this this is taking Lex to that extreme, right? This isn't like uh, Clancy Brown, Superman, Justice League, uh, Lex Luthor necessarily. This is a more uh, – this is more of a – uh, boisterous version of the character uh, and then with that said if Superman is uh, emblematic of the ultimate superhero I think Luthor is emblematic of the ultimate villain these two are like ultimate opposites in the way that people compare Batman and Joker uh, and I sure. think Luthor represents all of our negative qualities as people he represents our insecurities he's he in the beginning it talks about him getting rid of the wig because he's he's uh, bashful of his baldness he constantly works out because he wants to look like superman he wants to have that natural physical physique and he makes a comment how like oh superman doesn't have to work out for this but i do so that makes me more of a man kind of thing uh and it also juxtaposes their powers where Superman is the definition of using his powers responsibly. That is driven home time and time again in this book. Whereas when Luthor is given the opportunity to have these powers, as he breaks out with Nasty, who, uh, for reference, Pete, is an old Supergirl villain, I, I think she's meant to represent like uh, the femme fatale stereotype kind of thing. Because Luthor would surround himself with such a vanity kind of thing, you know? Sure. Um and, and I think you see it visually depicted there, opposite like the opposite qualities. 
uh, in the very first issue. Superman is rescuing Leo Quintum's uh, solar expedition, and Superman is depicted looking through a round, rec- uh, a round circle with a blue inflected background, whereas when you see Luthor in that lab, the room is red, uh, it's like uh, a rectangular, more boxed. There's a lot of visual references uh, done like quietly to like uh, juxtapose their very nature, I'd, I'd say. Um, so the big part in this book, after he gets out of prison, is that he uh, releases Solaris, the, the sun god, which is who Superman has to basically uh, fight to save the planet, which is trial number nine. And in doing that, it takes a lot out of him, and it destroys most of his robot military. <laughs> and also his pet sun eater. That's right. Which I wish I had a pet sun eater. That was so sad. Yeah, that was. Like, like I also love, like, I love, like, how fucking, um, that, like, thing where he's like, you killed it! And he, like, fucking loses it and punches <laughs> him in the eye. I was like, damn. Like, you don't usually, like... It's like those moments where Superman goes red eye, you know, like when he gets really angry and loses the composure where you're like, "Ooh!" <laughs> it's like you don't want to be on the receiving end of that look. <laughs> so, so Superman comes back and Luthor kills him, essentially, because uh, he shoots Clark Kent. Uh, and he has that interaction with Jarrell, where basically he decides that his time isn't done yet. And he, and he comes right. back and he has this final confrontation. And... It's in this moment where Luthor sees the world the way Superman does. He's finally able to look past his his own uh, personally imposed cataracts, his own arrogance, and see... His own forehead? <laughs> <laughs> and he, he, he's crying uh, as Nasty looks at him like, like uh, like a teen would and he just says it's yeah. all just us in here together and we're all we've got which is like the ultimate statement of the human experience is that ultimately all 8 billion people on this planet we're here together and that's the reality of it and Superman knocks his lights out because he's basically like dude fuck you yeah. wait you mean we're you guys are Aren't all just figments of my imagination? Shit. <laughs> no, just count. What right? did just count? What What did you guys think of this climax of of the Solaris scene to Superman's interaction with Jarrell to Luthor's realization and Superman knocking him out? The first and only real punch Superman throws. I uh, I think the last issue is the strongest one. Um, I think the the imagery there is is the best for me. I I think the um final confrontation between Lex and Superman is uh, is really compelling um, for the most part. And I, I did think that was probably the strongest executed moment for me in the entire thing. Um, and, and seeing Lex's, like... <laughs> like, having him have that moment of clarification, like, just to realize, like, how wrong he's been and how much time he's wasted um, is poetic. Oh, yeah. I, I really like that, like, like to go back to Sean and Pete talking about, like, Superman and his intelligence. I, I really like that Superman doesn't just, like, out-Superman Lex with his powers. Like Right, like he says, brain beats brawn every time. Yeah. Which is not- As he punches him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but after well, he's already, like, burnt his powers out, it's fine. Right. Um, 
Andy, I think at this point you can present that theory. Yeah. So, um, the first time I read All-Star Superman, I was, like, just getting back into comic books, and I thought, oh, Leo Quintum's a cool character. What else was he in? It's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a Grant Morrison original. And that led me to get reading that, like, there's a subset of people who think that he is Lex from the future. Like, after hmm. after he gets Superman's powers and, like, realizes that, like, oh, fuck. I could have saved the world a long time ago. And he goes back in time to preserve Superman and save the world. There's, like... Hmm. He does the Lex pose a lot of, like, feet, like, solidly shoulder-width apart, hands behind his back. Um, Lex talks a lot like Satan in Milton's Paradise Lost at one point. He's like, I could be the devil himself for all you know. And Superman is Superman and is in on it. And it's like, I know better than that. That's interesting. Yeah, I definitely didn't. I didn't put that together. But like when you say that, it sounds like a crazy theory. But then you're like, this is a Grant Morrison book. So (laughs) we did see a thing where there was a version of Superman who went through time to talk to himself. So I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. So the, uh, yeah, the... I also, I also think the biggest hint of that is that Quintum is oh, building, yeah, sure. is trying to build another Superman at the end. So right? that's, like that's, that's, that's the, that's the implication I think is that Leo Quintum is Lex Luthor after having these powers and realizing the, uh, the, the, the wrongness of his ways, he sets out to, better himself and better the world because in a way that only superman could there's he finally sees the world for what it is and there's 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 quotes that are that help with that too uh for instance uh quintum defines the absence of superman as a challenge to human uh human ingenuity uh because in the way that superman is concerned with the absence of, of superman uh so is leo quintum because the world needs a superman uh i don't know I want to let this thought percolate a little bit here. Well, I'm interested, Sean. You just made a face in response to what Phil said. What was your thought there? Oh, I just don't buy it. Um, there's mm. there's nothing for me that really indicates that that Lex is going to come out of this situation a fundamentally different person to the degree that he would actually think that the Earth needs Superman. I don't see why he would just suddenly change his perspective on. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I don't. I don't really have a take on this. You know, like I I hadn't read it that way. Hearing it, like I I guess like like I can see the internal logic there, but um, yeah, I don't. I, I think I'm probably more on Sean's side of just like that wasn't where I took it. You know, like he has that crystallizing moment, but. It's like seeing how he's portrayed the rest of the book. Like, is is it was it that life changing? You know, like it didn't seem like Lois like changed her entire perspective when she experienced those powers for a day. Well, even right after right after he has that revelatory moment, Superman comes back and Lex is right back on his you know regular stuff. So, right back on his (laughs) bullshit. Yeah, to the. To the point where he attacks Superman, right? You know, and says, "I could have done this um, if it weren't for you." On the same, the same token, he says that 
And Superman says, you could have done this a while ago if you cared about it. And Lex says, yeah, you're right. And, like, that's the end of that exchange. It's not just... He punches him in the head. And then Lex gets knocked out. Yeah. Marco, what's your perspective on all this? I don't much care for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Moving right along, then. I don't much care for your theories, sir. In fact, he doesn't even say, yeah, you're right. It just go. he just goes. I, I, I could have sworn he said something like, like along those lines of. He says, so Lex says, no, no, you're supposed to be dead. I had it timed. And you think I'd be stupid enough not to make more of this for myself. Superman says this. And then Lex says, I saw how to save the world. I could have made everyone see. I could have saved the world if it wasn't for you. Superman punches him in the face. And then, then Superman says, you could have saved the world years ago if it mattered to you, Luthor. And that's the last time Lex appears in the book. Oh, I, that's my, I thought he that's said that. That's my favorite my line. That's my favorite exchange between them two. That was when Sean made the point earlier um, and we put the pin in it. That was the quote that came to my mind, right? Is the idea that, like, if Lex really cared about saving the world or being exceptional or any of those things, he would have just focused on doing that, you know, but what he really cared about was proving that he was better than Superman. Yeah. And that's, that's ultimately what yeah. it comes down to. Uh, any other thoughts on the Luthor Superman dynamic before we move on? Um, I really do like these sort of self-contained Superman stories that end with Lex getting to have that realization because it doesn't need to be serialized and like he doesn't need to keep hating Superman. Yeah. Um, that's always a really nice moment for me. So, no, you're good. I think it's funny. I think it's. I'm sorry, Phil. Um, I think it's funny. I think it's funny that they can only happen yeah, right? in books like, that aren't serialized. I guess it. It also like if you can have it in an ongoing, it loses a lot of its power. Yeah. And 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 yeah, and then like what do you do with Lex after that? He becomes Quintum, sure, but I, then who comes I after that? Earth two Lex. I, I don't buy that this realization if you even I don't really feel like at the end of the book he has he's changed, but I know there is that one moment, but I don't feel yeah. like yeah, the Lex Luthor character is built to change in that way. I do, yeah. I as long as Superman exists, he cannot change. I believe that if Superman died and that was the end of him, there is a possibility that Lex Luthor becomes the person that he would would maybe be if Superman never existed. But as long as Superman exists, he can't be good. This this story kind of exists in a moment of time because as as we move toward the very end here for superman's last two labors or trials he builds an artificial heart for the sun where he goes and literally flies into the sun and there's there's this visual which harkens back to the 1938 superman of him like pulling and yanking on a lever as if he is the ultimate working class man which is what siegel and schuster and and envisioned him to be uh when we look beyond this this particular adventure, Superman's final acts of heroism on Earth, we are given glimpses of what 
the future of Superman is because he leaves the recipe and the formula to make Superman 2 to Leo Quentin to Lois Lane and that's when Leo says I'm sure we'll think of something with reference of how we're going to fill this void and that's essentially the first offspring of Superman and that opens up this floodgate to basically this legion of Superman that are going to come in the future because going forward Superman and his offspring are basically going to be fighting very bizarre fifth dimensional things are so grandiose in scope seemingly like the chronovore or solving unanswerable questions things like that uh so this this feels like a moment of time on earth as superman ascends to the heavens basically i mean he makes a comment um about how special it is that he want that the fortress is supposed to document the dawn of the age of the superman exactly and that he is the, you know, um, archetype of that, right? He's the, he, he's that first step, both um, in the context of the narrative and in the context of real life. Yeah. So, any, any, other, any thoughts on this implication, I guess? All right, well, fine. That, that, so that... I, just a comment that I would read that ongoing. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, I would too. <laughs> I, I would also read that because I think it would be uh, I think it would be Silver Age wacky fun. Like that would be Grant Morrison's wacky fun times, but yeah. I'm into it. Okay, let's 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 move away from the actual uh, book itself and uh, from a narrative perspective and talk about the art. Uh, what did you guys think of Frank Quitely's art? I did not like it. Ugh. I yeah. Ugh. I like. I really oh. liked the symbolism and the visuals, but I did not care for the way he draws people. Oh. Yes, 100%. 100% oh. agree with that, Andy. Um, I think like the, the like some of the color stuff that you pointed out is good. I think that there are moments that are good, um, but in general, I really don't like the way he draws people. Um, I don't like the the line work is like very very sketchy. Um there, there are some shots in the book that are, like, really big moments that I really was, like, this looks like deviant art, oh. like, fan art of, of big moments from a, a Superman oh. comic. And, and like, I, like I, I was really surprised by how much I didn't like some of it. Oh. We lost to, Kale. To, <laughs> to, <laughs> I have to clarify, the, the, the colors were by Jamie Grant. Yes. Yeah. Um... Pete, keep going. I, I like uh, this. Yeah, I, I just it didn't. I, it was underwhelming. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Like, and I know, <laughs> I know that I'm like this is blasphemous. Oh, Kale has uh, picked up a book. There, there, yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm I'm curious to see because I I do re I do really like uh, Frank Quitely. Flex Mentalo is one of my favorite books. Um, and like I, you know, I met the guy, and I, I, you know, I've seen his work by itself. So I'm wondering if, if maybe like some of it is in how he's inked and how like the colors work. So I, I pick, I've picked up uh, Multiversity, and I'm looking at his issue here, um, just to to see if I can, you know, see anything different. Uh, I mean, I for me, Frank Quitely is a beast. He's a genius. Uh, but I also 
you know, I, I worship at the at the altar of Morrison, and you can't have a Morrison altar without Quietly there. Uh, to me, they go hand in hand, and I I love what he does. I understand what you're saying uh, to a degree, but I think that the criticisms that you're lobbying, um, like technically, he's very proficient. Technically speaking, he's super duper good. And I can understand his style not appealing to you, but he is he is amazing. And um, there were there were moments here or there where I was like, eh. But uh, on the whole, I think this is a masterpiece on Frank's part, and it's right up there for me with all the other great Frank Quietly stuff that I've. That yeah, I I always compare it to in terms of the art. I always think of New X Men. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's right up there in, in, the, in that artistic vision. There's this page that's been flying around from the very first page of New X-Men and how extravagant the art is because of how good Frank Quietly is. Yes. New X-Men isn't in this book too, but New X-Men, because I've been more familiar with it and it's one of my favorites, it's not anything without Frank's uh, con- contributions. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just huge. Just off the, top, off the top of your heads, do you guys remember when New X-Men came out? 2005? Uh no no so right no no this, no, right? no I think it was even earlier two thousand three yeah. because Whedon yeah. took over two thousand five because because this, this was oh six right oh yeah yeah the first issue was oh six so that's when Grant went back to DC yeah so I don't know um yeah for for whatever reason it just it didn't work for me um it, it's definitely like a, a stylistic thing that um just for whatever reason it did not vibe with me and it, it wasn't so bad that um it impacted my enjoyment of the things that i thought worked and i do think that there are times where the the writing and the art uh work really well in tandem together but um yeah there's just something about the way he draws like the human form just really did not do it for me mark where are you at here yeah this is this was another sort of element where upon first reading i was like meh whatever like like it, it took me a sec to sort of get acclimated to his art style um i i feel like it's and I, this is also probably a combination because of how it's inked it's very like squiggly yeah and yes. it kind of reminds me of um you guys you guys remember like older cartoons where like or actually like Ed, Ed and Eddie mm-hmm. you know where yeah. like the edge like of all that uh-huh. sort of, yeah. right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so like it, it sort of reminds me of that but <laughs> that in of itself is like resembling it, and, and looking at his art like it resembles like an element of that sort of wackier like alternative like comic stuff comics with, with an X kind of thing and like the same kind of it, it, it comes in it's, it's an acquired taste because it comes in as sort of like he is he's Irish, right? Scottish. Or Scottish. Scottish. Whoops. Um but like, again it it, it is like a, a European style and it's one that he's honed. So it's definitely like a stylistic thing where at the beginning I had trouble getting into it. Then like by the time I finished the book the first time I was like, Alright, like I like, you know, he's good. But like again, the second time reading it over, it's like all right, like a lot of the the stuff that he does, like there's a reason it looks the way it is. Um, to your point, uh, Pete, like the 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 way the form he draws the form is sort of um, it's sort of exaggerated in certain places, but that's because of the way like it gives emphasis to things that you want to pay attention to, like 
uh, Clark's posture, all that kind of stuff. The um, the way that uh, Luther's like chest sort of pops out a little bit, just even like a little bit more, just again because he's so pompous and stuff. Um, so it's just like like little things that you kind of appreciate. That I mean, uh, the second time around, I was like, yeah, this is good stuff. This is solid, really solid art. Um, I I'm inclined. I, I agree with you. Uh, I I want to mention something that's kind of interesting. I've never told you guys this, but when this book was in its original run. In 2006, I remember buying the first issue on the first day, and I wasn't a huge Superman fan yet, and uh, I just I didn't like it. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. and I even bought the second issue, and I couldn't finish it. I I thought the <laughs> first three issues are really. Weak. I really love the first three issues. This is uh, uh, I, I guess I was 15 at the time, and it just I, I didn't like the art. I remember a distinct thought I had as a 15 year old is why does everyone have a potato face? I mean, that's the distinct thought I have, like, still as a 25-year-old, so... Well, you're yeah. fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think 15-year-old Phil had it right. <laughs> what did you guys think of Grant's writing? I It's, um, it's peak Grant Morrison. It's, yeah, in good and bad ways. <laughs> I While we're there, can we talk about the um, the the 12 labors as a whole that's like a concept because well like in sort of how it's um um how it's portrayed okay here like i the book has they talk about the 12 labors especially like the the older you know you know the the future superman or whatever this is until you listed them for me i never got them like I, I think that's a very poorly uh, ex- uh, uh, executed plot point. I agree. I felt like it was mm-hmm. its importance. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a very like tell don't show moment. Like we're told it's super important and significant, but it never felt that way to me. Like I didn't feel like when he was achieving these things, like I wasn't recognizing like, oh, check, there's one of the trials. There's one of the trials. It's not until he's like, oh, I've completed seven of them and I have this many more to go. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess you have. I even even when he says I've completed seven of them, I couldn't could not have told you what they were. (laughs) So the way I the way I perceive it is they it is a retroactive thing in the way that in history we apply a narrative to things and in Superman's final days these are remembered as the 12 things he did before he died uh, and when he knows that it's like oh I gotta keep up with my own like because history repeats itself because it's a it's it's cyclical and, and at least in this regard because people from the future have come back in time uh i don't think uh, they're looked at as as it's looked at as like a mythology because it's 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 a herculean effort of superman placing himself in modern ethos kind of thing sure yeah i think i think that all that makes sense uh it's weird it was weird for me when superman acknowledged it uh, I just don't think he cares. I don't think he's that. I don't think he's thinking about trials or whatever. I think he's just thinking about doing good. So when he brings it up, it was like, what? Um, and uh, but but I I think I was thinking about it as a reader more than I should have been. 
And that's because of the way that it's framed and set up. It's not about the trials. Like you said, it's more of a of a mythology. Like, after the fact, everybody will think about these 12 trials that he... You know, like, the, human beings would craft a narrative like yes. that. But in the moment, you're not thinking that way. That's why I thought it was weird that Superman even thought about it. Um, and it forced me to think about something that wasn't that important to the actual story. Yeah. And uh, I think... Um... Something I wrote in my notes was I was like, some of the writing is really great and some of it feels clunky. Um, I think there were times where the book fell into um, one of the necessary evils of comic book writing, I think, where like sometimes stuff just feels like info dumpy or it feels like this isn't what a person would really say in this moment, but I need them to to further the plot. Um, I think specifically in the first issue when Superman finds out he's dying and he has like no reaction to it, basically, it, it felt very like stiff. You know, like, we see him emotionally react to the fact that he has to deal with his own mortality eventually, but I remember feeling like the moment where he's told that, like, you're experiencing cell death, there's no future for you, he's very, like, calm, and it just feels, like, strange. It feels dissonant from the way he reacts to his, the looming reality of his mortality for the rest of the story, Um, and I remember that stuck out to me as something that just felt... I, I think that's commentary on on the person though because he is so comfortable in his own skin he's so at peace with the the very cover of the first issue is him sitting on a cloud uh with his arms wrapped around his legs just this the the imagery of that it, it's a man who's sure. completely at peace with self that i don't think the immediate reaction of finding out you're gonna die for someone like that is a big deal because it's like well all right. Like, it's a, it's someone who's zen. And, like, maybe that's true. Um, but to me, it didn't come across that way. You know, that that didn't work for me as a reader. Um, I guess I just – I didn't buy that. Huh. That's – uh, I'm very sorry, Sean. Uh, to connect to, to Phil's point, the uh, – or to sort of counter it, the first issue of the um, the the singles – is superman in the in the christ-like pose you know up against the sun and he's got you know um so i don't know uh maybe at peace is the right word but i don't know about the the chill part well i think um i think with superman especially later on it's very clear that he cares about his life in so much as he's providing value. Uh, so when he finds out he's dying, it's not really like, oh shit, I'm going to not be conscious. It's like, okay, I'm dying. What do I have to do while I'm still alive in order to make sure that I'm not leaving the world uh, with a hole? In order to make sure that right. I'm, I'm living the last days of my life valuably. On top of that, I think... Uh, not every person, not every actual human responds to death or the idea of their own death with this dread and crazy, you know, panic. Some people are very calm in that moment when they're told this is what's happening to you. And so when I read it, I didn't have any, I didn't have any kind of reaction negatively regarding how Superman took it because I felt like, okay, yeah, he would take it this way. 
They, okay. I guess they're related to a personal point, and this reflects my very own relationship to the book. Is It makes me think of when I uh, went through a breakup in a four-year relationship, whereas when I was confronted with that reality, I was very calm. Like, I, I was accepting of what was happening. Uh, but over time, the reality of it sunk in and how sure, difficult sure. and different my life was going to be. It presented a whole. Uh and that's what this book does in times of crisis for me is it fills a hole because it gives me an opportunity to feel the most human I can, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about uh, Grant's writing and uh, I mean, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, a massive Grant fan. Uh, I felt like this was, in the same vein as Batman uh, R.I.P. and his whole run on Batman, where it's kind of taking all these different elements of Batman and condensing them into... I mean, that run was a lot longer, but this is the 12 issues. Absolutely. Um, I felt I felt like they were... It's the same yes. thing. Uh, I've read that run so many times that my... like. Knowledge of it is about as as I'm about as knowledgeable <laughs> as it, about it as I can be. Whereas with this, I've only read it the one time. So I I knowing how Grant is, I feel like I can't even really say what I think about it because I've only read it once. Uh, what I will say is that there's a lot of times where it's Pete Grant and Pete Grant is zany and crazy, uh, and sometimes characters say things that I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, like I already said, the, this interpretation of Lex Luthor here, I didn't love. Uh, but I think what what Grant does best is Grant is really good at, at like I said, taking big ideas about characters that have been told uh, and, and mythologies that have been told over the course of decades and condensing them into something small that makes a lot of sense. And he says something big and, and relatable and understanding about the character. And I think that here, he did that super, super well. Although I'm not so sure yet, like I said, I don't want to really go too far in criticism or commentary. I'm not so sure that I feel like he did it as well as he did in R.I.P. But again, he had so much more time with that. This is this is a book that's written not so much like a traditional miniseries of just like, this is another adventure in a character's life. This is written more as like a thesis of a character. And I think it should be read from that perspective. But... My question, my, I guess, my final question here is uh, one at a time. What it, I asked you at the very beginning, what were your expectations going into it? What are your actual final thoughts on All Star Superman? For me, this was the uh, this was, I guess, the sixth time I've read it. Uh, I try not to read it too much uh, because I don't want to diminish the value it has for me. You know, uh, sure, yeah, but. Every time I read it, I get more out of it. I find more context that I missed maybe uh, than I did the, few, the first few times I read it. Uh, like a lot of Morrison books, there's always just a lot to it. And, uh, I mean, obviously it's my favorite book. Uh, so, so, Kale, what did, what, 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 how do you feel about this book? I, I, I like it. Um, it's probably it's no it, it's not something I think I would necessarily go out of my way to read unless it caught my eye on the bookshelf or something um, I appreciate it but it it, it isn't uh, it isn't a definitive work for me 
Fair enough. Uh, Andy, what do you think? I know you, this is one of your favorite Andy, books, too. Uh, it's one of my favorite books. It's still probably my third favorite Superman book behind uh, Red Sun and Birthright. But it's it's one of my favorites. Um, it's a thing I will always go back to every couple of years when I need to pick me up. I think it it does a really good job of being a book that is about Superman, but also about Superman. Like it's it's telling a story like that is a Superman story, but it's also like about the character and the feelings Grant Morrison has towards him. And I think it's hard to do that well. And I think the fact that he pulled it off is really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to agree. Marco, how about you? Um, I don't know, I guess same as kind of what I said when I started. Like, it it sort of just showed me, uh, like, this is my definitive version only because it's, like, the basically the most I've read of this character. Um, and, yeah, he exemplifies goodness. And, uh, I mean... I don't know. I mean, uh, I wouldn't have read this, you know, in, in any other circumstance, but uh, I'm glad I did. It was a good story, uh, but I don't know. I'm yeah, twice probably enough for me. Marco, how do you how do you how do you feel about this book compared to like whatever happened to the man t- of tomorrow? Uh, in what perspective? Well, they're both basically uh, stories about the uh, the death of Superman. Um. I guess maybe uh, what happened to the Man of Tomorrow was kind of just more to the point, which was, I don't, I don't know, I guess I, I like that. <laughs> um, it just because it, it didn't meander as much in some of like the zaniness um, or any of it, basically. Um, and maybe that's just me not reading a lot of Grant and maybe not, not enough of like older superhero comics and stuff so like that zaniness to me is sort of uh out of place sometimes because i don't have a context for it and where like it would normally be um so i don't know i appreciated the directness of uh moore's book fair enough pete give me your final thoughts i think that this is a book with some space i'd like to revisit uh because i there are things about it i really appreciated um, but the overall package left something for to to be desired for me, and the fact that um, Marco had such a similar reaction to it in his first reading and got something more out of it the second time around uh, definitely makes me think that there's a possibility that that might be the case for me too. Um, I think it's I'm glad I read it. I think it's definitely worth reading if you're interested in uh, exploring Superman as a character, and I think it has a lot to say about Superman as a character. Um, I just think how it says it sometimes is not as good as what it has to say. Fair enough. Sean, I, I saved you for last year. Bookend this thought here. Sure. Uh, so, like, again, with Grant, I, I feel that he's the best at, at, at deconstructing and taking large ideas and placing them into small, almost bite-sized bits um, and putting a lot of value in them. And so even though this first time around, uh, like I said at the, at the start, I'm, I was underwhelmed. Over the course of this conversation, I've grown to like it even more. 
So that already tells me all I need to know about how I'm going to feel about this book in five years. Um, because it's going to grow on me. It's going to resonate more and more as I learn more. Uh, just being able to talk to people about it. It's that kind of book. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not a one and done. Uh, and so, uh, I love Superman, but I don't always love what I read about Superman. And this is something that I can, I can say, okay, this, this is what Superman is, you know? Uh, this is who he is. This is a writer trying to say something with the character uh, that will resonate for all time. And so I'm really happy that I read it and I can't wait to come back to it down the road and see what more there is for me to uncover. What's what's so special about Batman and Superman's characters, and Grant has put the, has phrased this in interviews before, is he's talked about how these are characters that were made before he was born, and these are characters that are going to be around long after he's dead. And that's what they are. They are our mythical figures. Batman and Superman are 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 hercules or zeus or whomever uh, batman is hades and superman is apollo you know he's they're they're thousand year old figures transcended for our society so with that i think this is a good place to basically end it here uh this has been another edition of the comics pals book club so far we've done a few uh we've done uh let's see uh, space riders we've done uh we did planet hulk black panther uh, we did a Spider-Man special. That's right. So there's a bunch you can go back and check out. These are uh, really good quality. If you really enjoyed this one, I'd go back and check those out. They're totally evergreen. Uh, as for us, uh, Kale, Pete, Sean, Marco, and Andy, uh, we are the Comics Pals. You can find us at all social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Make sure you like and subscribe and share on YouTube. And until next time, uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you read All-Star Superman. So, up, up, and away. Take care, guys. See you next month. Bye. Love you. Hey, guys, I'm Superman.